Welcome to the Sandy Springs United Methodist Church Podcast, where we bring you weekly sermons that uplift your soul, strengthen your spirit, and praise the Lord. Whatever your reason for listening, we're grateful for you spending your time with us. May God open your heart to love and your ears to hear. Please remain standing from a reading from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 7, verses 24 through 30. From there he set out and went away from the region of Tyre, where he entered a house and did not want anyone to know he was there, yet he could not escape notice. But a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit immediately heard about him, and she came and bowed down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician origin. She begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter, and he said to her, Let the little children be fed first, for it is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, Sir, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he said to her, For saying that you may go, the demon has left your daughter. So she went home and found the young child laying on the bed, and the demon was gone. There's a phrase from my childhood which has the same meaning but is used in two different contexts. I was prone to histrionics. Uh, easily excited, uh, not stop talking. So fitting into this role of minister has worked well for me, I think, over the years. But there's a phrase that once I would get too excited or ramped up in a car ride or somewhere around uh, the church, my parents would often say to me, put a lid on it, which means calm it down, bring it in, put a lid on it. The other one is also very practical and has to do with food, like the friendship bread or like our reading kind of parallels food, and a very specific kind of food, Pringles chips, which, as you know, come in a can, and in order to stop snacking, in order to contain it or control the hunger, you have to literally put a lid on it. It's all about control, putting a lid on it. And so when we put a lid on something, it's our attempts to try and control what is going on. And that's really the challenge that we all face in our lives. We're trying to put the lid on something around us. The healing of the Syrophoenician woman's daughter, which we just heard, is a key moment in Mark's gospel. It sums up a sequence of miraculous events that have gone on before we encounter this story in Mark's gospel, the seventh chapter. We've had stories of an unclean spirit Stories of a closed door, of a woman improperly close to Jesus, uh, a story of a parent distressed over a daughter. And all these previous miracles in Mark's gospel are coming to a head in the story of the Syrophoenician woman and her demon-possessed child. And it gives us a moment to ask, why is this story so important? Well, interestingly enough, this story is in between two decisive miracles in Mark's gospel. It's sandwiched, to continue with this food metaphor, sandwiched in between the feeding of 5,000 in chapter 6 and the feeding of 4,000 in chapter 8. 
So before we look at the Syrophoenician woman's story in chapter 7, let's look at these bookends for a minute. Let's take a look at the bread of the story before we get into the meat. The feeding of the 5,000 took place in Jewish territory and resulted in 12 baskets left over. These numbers 5 and 12 are significant. 5 is shorthand for the people of Israel because of the five books of the law, the Torah that begin the Bible. Twelve is the number of the tribes of Israel. And meanwhile, the feeding of 4,000, which comes after our story, takes place in Gentile territories. You've got the Jewish story and the Gentile story. And in the Gentile story, there were seven baskets left over. And so you've got these numbers four and seven. Four refers to the four corners of the earth, and seven refers to the seven days of creation, back before God called God's people through Abraham and called the people set apart. So you've got these two stories that tell two very different things with what they symbolize. And now we come to the meat of the story. The Phoenicians were a widely dispersed people because their trade was all by sea. They didn't travel on the roads. They needed the ocean to get to and from, and that made them interminglers, which was against Jewish customs. This woman is Syrophoenician because she was from one of the branches of the Gentile people, those outside God's chosen people, this global people, the branch who'd settled north of Israel in the land broadly known as Syria. And Jesus says this to this Syrophoenician woman, this global woman, Let the children be fed first. Or more literally, he says, let the children be satisfied first. And that word satisfied is so important because it's the same word that appears in the feeding of the 5,000 where it says, all ate their fill and were satisfied. And it happens again in the feeding of the 4,000 where it says almost identically, they all ate and were satisfied. So what's happening in this climactic moment is this dialogue between Jesus and this Syrophoenician woman. It's not just the climax of all the ways in which Jesus heals, but more specifically, it is this transformative movement when Jesus' ministry moves from being the Messiah of the Jewish people to being the Savior of the whole world. And it is overlooked because it happens so fast. But it's a move that we pay attention to in dwelling with the Scripture. Because the story doesn't start with food. The story doesn't start with salvation. But it starts with healing, with a request. And then Jesus makes it about food. And in just the same way, the two feeding stories, Jesus crystallizes this whole question about the extent, the depth of his mission and to a drama about food. Jesus takes something that someone needs and begins to tell a story. Jesus comes first to the Jewish people in the story, for they are hungry, and then they're satisfied. Jesus has an argument with a Gentile woman, and he says, let the Jews be satisfied first, then we'll worry about the Gentiles. And she says, You've got more than you need for the Jews. You've got enough to feed the whole world with leftovers. Just the crumbs are enough. And I'm hungry for the food that only you can give. 
And then Jesus goes to the Gentiles. They're hungry, and they're satisfied too. And what this story tells us visually with this image, with this basket of leftovers, this conversation in between these two stories about food reminds us that when we feel like we're scraping by on crumbs, it's more than enough. There's plenty left over for the Jews, for the Gentiles. But after feeding the second crowds, there's still plenty left over. And over and over again, we know the story, the baskets, the food that started from not much and much grew out of. But the reality that we live in is that it doesn't always feel like there's a lot left over. Now, I'm not just talking about food, but uh, our emotional food, our spiritual food. We feel like we're running on crumbs. And the story speaks to us when we pay attention to what Jesus is doing when we recognize where Jesus is located. Remember, Jesus is a long way away from the action. He wanted to get away, and he went up to Tyre, which is basically north of the Mason-Dixon line. It's Yankee territory. It's all Gentiles. There's not a lot of our people around there. And the scripture says he didn't want anyone to know he was there. He was a long way from home, and he's trying to keep a low profile. And so no one should be bothering him because he's a stranger in a strange land. But that's not the case with Christ. Because here's this woman breaking every cleanliness code in the, rab- in the rabbinical teachings, bursting through the closed doors and spending time alone with a male stranger. She's breaking national boundaries as a Phoenician. She's breaking religious boundaries as a Gentile. She's breaking gender boundaries as a woman. She's breaking courtesy and Uh, excuse me, proprietary boundaries as a person who won't respect the Messiah when he just needs a bit of space. And the degree of transgression she's asking from Jesus matches her own because he's already crossed a territorial line by being in a foreign land. She's now asking him to cross another line by inviting him to cast out demons from her daughter. And when Jesus makes it about food, she fires right back. Because really, the thing that separated Gentiles and Jews at that time were the dietary, the purity laws, the most common stalling point between Jewish and Gentile relations, because all the food was going to the dogs. But Jesus, in a few chapters previous to this story, declares all foods clean, and now he makes it even more radical by saying not only is all food clean, but anyone who hungers can eat. It means that salvation can now apply to the Gentiles. It can now apply to those outside of the walls of the church because by being members of God's kingdom, anyone can come to the table and be satisfied at the Lord's table. So presenting this miracle, 
this healing of the Syrophoenician woman's daughter in the middle of these stories where we move from the Jewish people to the Gentiles people piles up symbolism upon symbolism and numbers and codes, but it doesn't do anything to satisfy our overwhelming need or our overwhelming hunger for God. Because the story is filled with God's glory. But the other side of it is we are drowning in anxiety. Because the woman in the story represents the simple truth that the gospel is overwhelming. Not by what we bring to it, but by what God brings to it, by God's grace. Jesus' reaction reflects Israel's fear that overwhelming grace means overwhelming anxiety. And here's, here's the challenge for us today. On the one hand, we see the woman with her simple, persistent demand that Jesus take the logic of the gospel, that it's open and available to everyone, to its logical and obvious conclusion that he can heal. She may be high maintenance. She may be a disciple with more elbow activity or elbow grease than we think polite or well-mannered or respectful for a woman to approach, but she is right, and she is leading the charge to take Jesus from God's people into a new way of seeing, or rather to take our minds from seeing Jesus in a particular way and to seeing Jesus for all the world. But here's the challenge as I pondered this scripture. My temptation is always to read the story from the place of being incensed that this woman would come to Jesus. I've spent the better part of my studies or readings on this scripture trying to think about what could drive this woman to confront Jesus, to show that I would have been just as disappointed by her approaching Christ. But then I've always wondered how Israel, how the people who saw her approach could be so small-minded that they would keep salvation to themselves. And I think here's the problem, is we're trying to put a lid on the gospel. We're trying to manage Christ in a way that Christ cannot be managed. When Christ says salvation is for everybody, we want to manage it and say, well, Jesus, you haven't thought about the administrative tasks. We haven't run it through our infrastructure or our committees. It's obviously going to fail us, so let's temper our expectations that if we just have five people show up, it's not going to feel bad. Because after all, Jesus, you've given us this thing called church, so bear with us as we get there. Because right now we're overwhelmed when you say it's for all we need to slow it down. We need to put a lid on it. But we don't identify enough with the woman in the story. The knocking, the nudging, the demanding, the teasing, the dialogue back and forth with Christ just to let the kingdom of God break through. And I think it's because none of us really want to see ourselves as beggars. We think that we've got it all figured out, but seeing ourselves as the woman reminds us that we need to turn to Christ daily, asking for healing 
in the midst of our anxiety or our overwhelming sense of fear. Because we're here, because we're present, because we're within the walls of the church, we think salvation belongs to us, and our gospel is going to be one of entitlement and responsibility. Once you've attended the new member classes that Thomas has at 10 o'clock, shameless plug and promotion, only then can you attain that level of familiarity with the gospel. But even Jesus acknowledges that at times we want to be alone. That's where he starts in the story. And in no time in Jesus' day off, the kingdom of God breaks through through the faith of a beggar, of a woman who's understanding so broadly of the gospel being available to everyone makes her both impatient and dangerous. And that's us. And the lesson is clear. The gospel is not a cylinder of Pringles. You can't put a lid on it when God is in control. Whoever you are in the story, Jew or Gentile, synagogue leader, mother of a demon-possessed child, the gospel is going to overwhelm you. You cannot put a lid on it. You cannot manage it. You cannot keep it under control. And the moment you try to do so means that you might try to look as ridiculous as it sounds to try and hide potato chips from a 12-year-old adolescent child. Or to tell a seven-year-old boy who's so excited about playing his first soccer games on new fields to put a lid on it. But we're overwhelmed. We're overwhelmed and we are seeking quiet and peace. But we're also seeking Christ. We're seeking peace and quiet and calm in our home and our professional lives, at the same time being overwhelmed with the pressures of trying to be generous and kind without becoming totally exhausted and humiliated and bankrupt. Well, here's the news that you don't want to hear. If you feel overwhelmed, maybe you're reading this story from the wrong point of view. Because the gospel is all about being overwhelmed, but being overwhelmed for the right reasons. Not by responsibility, not by anxiety or guilt or fear or strategic administrative choices or domestic chores. The gospel is about being overwhelmed by the discovery that there is room in this kingdom for someone just like you and me. And it's what the Syrophoenician woman discovers in the story when she comes to Christ time and time again. And if this place, if this church, or if church in general has become for you just one burden among others dragging you down into bewilderment and exhaustion, maybe it's time to reread this story, not from the point of view of Jesus or the onlookers or or of Mark, but from the point of view of this woman who is desperate for God's presence in her life because you cannot put a lid on the gospel of Jesus Christ. You cannot keep it under control because the gospel is all about being overwhelmed. And the question remains then, are you overwhelmed by your burdens or will you, be your, will you allow yourself to be overwhelmed 
by the grace of God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Following the benediction, I'm going to invite Molly Bradshaw, our Candler intern student, to join me out in the narthex. I hope you'll come by and welcome her and greet her. And I hope that you will have a blessed week as you go out into this world to be overwhelmed, not by the burdens or anxieties that await us once we cross through those doors, but the joy and the grace of God that is already working amongst us, through us, and for us. So as you go out into the world, go with this blessing. May the peace of Christ go with you wherever he may send you. May he guide you through the wilderness, protect you through the storm. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. May he bring you home rejoicing once again into our arms. And may the love of God, the peace of Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sandy Springs United Methodist Church Podcast. We hope that you have found our podcast helpful and hope to be in ministry not only to you, but with you. For more information about Sandy Springs United Methodist Church, please visit www.ssumc.org. Until next time, may God bless you.